This is episode number five of the Polyglot Developer Podcast, and I'm your host, Nick Raboy. Hey everyone, welcome back to my podcast. As many of you have already seen, I've been doing a lot of development when it comes to mobile using NativeScript. Back in episodes number one and two of this podcast, I actually gave an overview of hybrid application development, and this overview included information about NativeScript. This time I figured it would be beneficial to get somebody from the company behind the product to share an in-depth amount of information about how NativeScript works. In this episode, I'm joined by TJ Vantol, and he is a developer advocate for Telerik on the NativeScript project. We're going to be discussing things as simple as what is NativeScript, all the way down to how does it compare to other frameworks such as Apache Cordova, React Native, or anything in between. My goal by the end of this is to make sure that you're left with enough knowledge and information to be able to make a quality decision on whether or not you want to use NativeScript when developing Android and iOS mobile applications. With that said, enjoy the show. Hey everyone, I'm here with TJ Vantol from Telerik, and we're going to be talking about uh, what exactly NativeScript is uh, and how you can use it in your mobile development uh, lifecycle. So I want to go ahead and uh, give TJ a shot to first tell us a little bit about himself. Hey, Nick. Yeah, my name's TJ Vantol, coming at you from Lansing, Michigan, and uh, been working with Telerik for about three years now, uh, both on the Symmetelix mobile products, so the Telerik platform, now NativeScript, and uh, previously some of the web products like Kendo UI. So uh, what, what exactly is Kendo UI? So if you haven't heard of Kendo UI before, um, if for people that are familiar with jQuery UI, I almost like to think of it as jQuery UI plus plus. So it's it's got web widgets like uh, calendars, date pickers, um, those sorts of things, but also onto more advanced things like if you want charts and graphs, or we have a spreadsheet widget. If you want to recreate Excel in your browser, we can help you do that. Uh, schedulers, grids, uh, all sorts of really advanced things that you could build with, with JavaScript. So is that strictly web or is that uh, mobile as well? So this is sort of how I got my entry into mobile, uh, because Kendo UI is strictly a web product, but it, there is a mobile side to Kendo UI. So there's what's known as Kendo UI Mobile, which is a hybrid development framework, which is sort of how I sort of got my toes wet into the mobile world and into the Cordovan hybrid world. Sure. So uh, before you started working with uh, Telerik on, on the NativeScript project, so you did a lot of Cordova development? I did. Uh, man, I was all over the place. So uh, I got my career started doing, uh, if you can believe this, so COBOL and Java work. It was sort of my my first job, and I, I spent a lot of time mostly in Java land. So I've got some fancy Oracle certificates. So I'm like Sun. I think it, this was before it was even Oracle earned. So it, like a Sun certified Java person or whatever the fancy acronyms they have are. And so I was doing Java for a while, and then eventually I got into the web world and got involved around the time of jQuery was coming out. 
got really into that. Uh, I was actually on the jQuery team for a few different years working on jQuery UI. And probably the biggest chunk of my career, I was doing exclusively web stuff. Um, and that's really how I got on, uh, into Telerik as well, working with, with jQuery and Kendo UI at the time. And then slowly, I've been transitioning over to mobile, just, to, just sort of fascinated by the mobile space. And I found myself in the hybrid, the Cordova, Ionic, uh, that sort of space, as I think a lot of web developers do, just because it's the lowest barrier to entry for the peop- those of us that came from the web world. It's the, by far the easiest way that you can get up and running if you're sort of the person that wants to build for iOS and Android, but finds those native tool change kind of hard and complex. It's, a, it's an excellent starting point. So it's it's funny that you actually mentioned COBOL and Java because that's that's my background too. Uh, before I started working where I am now, uh, so I actually did a lot of COBOL, Java, and, and then I don't know if you're familiar with Cold Fusion, which is another uh, web technology. Yeah, I I have some co- coworkers from the that have Cold Fusion on their uh, <laughs> on their resume as well. I didn't know you did COBOL though. That's that's an interesting. An interesting yeah, land. <laughs> I, I used to work for a university, and they, they had a lot of uh, COBOL applications still. Yeah, and for me, it was a big insurance company. And they, uh, the, the back end of this insurance company was all COBOL run. And then basically what they did was they threw some Java front ends, or some Java apps with obviously web front ends on top of this. But all of this interfaced with this uh, giant legacy COBOL system, which is pretty interesting. Awesome. Yeah, so so now that you're working with Telerik, um, you you primarily do native script stuff, is that correct? Or do you do other stuff for Telerik as well? Yep, primarily native script. So can I've I've mentioned it briefly on a few of my other podcast episodes, and then for anyone who follows my blog, The Polygot Developer, uh, I know you can see a lot of great content there as well. But can you go ahead and give uh, your version of what native script is? Yeah, so... The, the sort of succinct way of putting it is that NativeScript is a framework. It's really kind of a runtime for building iOS and Android mobile apps using JavaScript, using TypeScript, or using Angular. And the real key with NativeScript is, especially when you compare it to the, the quote-unquote hybrid development model, is that with NativeScript, we are building completely native apps. So apps that are built using truly native iOS and Android UI components and not the approach where you are taking um, a web view or a little browser instance and sort of wrapping it up in in a native app. The app is completely native. At runtime or at the time the user is actually using the app, it's it's really indistinguishable from a, a natively written app because you are building actual native UI controls. So is there is there a benefit of... Uh having it convert to native code rather than, say, wrapping it in a web view like other technologies? Yeah, and so especially people that that come from either a web background or a Cordova background, the, I think the easiest way I can, I can explain it is that there's one big pro and one big con to taking a NativeScript approach. The con, to start on the, the negative side with NativeScript, is that the learning curve is going to be a little bit higher with NativeScript compared to building a PhoneGap app. Because there is no HTML, because there is no DOM as part of this app, some of that skill reuse story that that works so well for the PhoneGap and Cordova development model just isn't there for NativeScript. There is some new things that you have to learn. You have to learn our sort of way of building up an interface. 
But the big advantage is is really in performance, um, performance in UX. I say performance because when you're running with these native UI components, you're you're running native code, you're running bytecode. These controls are are built using you know Java and Android, Objective C slash Swift on on iOS, and you get a lot of the optimizations that are built into these platforms directly. And I think the the canonical example or the one that comes up most often is related to list views, which are sort of the crux of a large, lot of really big mobile applications. Uh, when people try to build apps that use really big list views, at least with web technologies, it can be kind of tricky. Um, you have to bust out things like virtualized DOMs and all, all these little things to try to build really performance, say like pull to refresh or endless scroll lists or lists with large amounts of images. And these native platforms, these are controls that are just sort of built into the OS out of, out of the box. Like iOS has a UI table view control, and it automatically takes care of parsing these large data sets and handling memory management for you. Um, and in order to take advantage of some of these things that these, these native platforms offer out of the box, it does require you to take a different architectural approach. It's not something... You can't take like a UI table view and shove it into a Cordova app, at least and not, not without getting really hacky to do so. But once you've sort of foregone the, the web view-based approach and once you've went truly native, it opens a lot of doors, not just to things like list views, but um, all of these native controls, all of these things that iOS and Android just provide for you in their SDKs that you can use in a native script app. So... Um, before, before I get into this next question, um, I do want to ask, uh, to extend upon what you just said. So, um, you say that you can touch, uh, the, the, the certain interfaces of, uh, native applications or native platforms, but can't you already do that with the Cordova? You can, however, uh, it's a lot trickier to do so. And I think, um, actually if I take a step back, because a, a, one question we get a lot at Telerik is, why did we build native script or, you know, why, when there's no shortage of JavaScript frameworks out there, did we, did we feel there need to create something new? And a lot of it comes from our experience in the hybrid, in the Cordova world. So we have a lot of tooling to help people build Cordova apps. That's sort of how I got started at the company. We have what's known as the Teller platform. We have a Cordova plugin marketplace um, because we spent years sort of trying to optimize the hell out of Cordova development. We, we really sought basically from our, from our customers, from our user base, we were constantly hearing requests for people that wanted to get a more performant hybrid model. And so for years, our approach to doing that was the Cordova plugins route. So, I mean, you can go to our Cordova plugins marketplace and you'll find all sorts of plugins that are related to try to make uh, try to get the most out of hybrid plugins. So we have native page transitions. We have um, all these little things that 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 really try to squeeze out every last bit of performance we can get from hybrid apps by going native. And what we found is that that works, but only to a certain extent. Um, you can only show shove so many plugins into an application. And furthermore, the biggest area where you notice these these issues is at the UI level. You notice this when you have a list view or um, you you have these really rich animations that the user sees, and these are things that you can't necessarily, uh, you can't easily at least write a Cordova plugin to handle. This is something that you really need to to build your UI using a different a different native stack in order to actually build up that application. So to your question, 
Um, yes, a lot of these things that you, you can do in Cordova, um, like if you need to access the camera or some, some arbitrary piece of hardware. Uh, but with NativeScript, we find that um, building that actual interface in native code is especially important. Uh, and we also feel like our model, our architectural model, is additionally makes it less verbose to handle these, these native things, uh, like, again, camera and hardware access as well. Sure, that makes sense. Uh, so I don't, I don't think you mentioned this, but um, what platforms are supported with NativeScript? Currently, iOS and Android, we have a Windows Universal runtime that's sort of in um, like an alpha state that's out there that we're looking for some early feedback on. The, the NativeScript model is one that could potentially support other platforms as well. Right now, we're primarily focusing on iOS and Android just because that's where the, the most demand we see from our customers and our users. And we, we're sort of monitoring demand for other platforms because it's a decent amount of engineering, documentation, et cetera, work before we decide to commit to supporting other platforms. Sure. So um, Amazon devices uh, and BlackBerry devices, they both support Android. Does this mean that I could also build applications for these two uh, types of devices or brands of devices as well? Uh, yeah, I believe the answer is yes. You might know the answer to that better than I do. I, I know that we, we generate I AP, <laughs> yeah, we generate APK files, so Android executable files. And so anything that will interpret those, which I believe like Blackberry's Priv and their newer device types do, um, and Androids do as well. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry, Amazons do as well. Yeah, no, I, I know BlackBerry is a lot smaller of a market, but Amazon is actually very, it's thriving. I, I'd like to think um, they have a lot of very affordable Android devices out there. So I was just wondering, um, maybe maybe something that we can uh, look at in, in a future topic. Yeah, yeah, I'd have to do some digging. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so uh, when you're developing these native script applications, uh, you mentioned that you could use uh, JavaScript, uh, TypeScript, Angular. Uh, TypeScript may be new to a lot of people. Uh, is this the, the recommended way to develop applications using TypeScript and maybe just shed a, just a tiny bit of light on to what that is? Yeah, so for people that aren't familiar with TypeScript, um, in a way I like to think of it as, is almost like JavaScript++. TypeScript was a project that came out of Microsoft. I, I'm pretty sure it was the same guy that sort of was involved with the development of C-sharp. And essentially, it tries to add some lightweight structure that lives on top of JavaScript. So in one way, TypeScript is just a pre-compiler for JavaScript code. So it implements a number of the newer features that are coming to JavaScript anyways, but just makes it so that you can use them today. So think things like um, the next version of JavaScript, the class keyword, the JavaScript modules, um, arrow functions, things that are coming to the JavaScript language anyways, TypeScript simply just adds a layer of support that, that has this. But TypeScript also adds just tooling that makes JavaScript behave a little bit more like server-side languages that you may be familiar with, the, the Javas, the C-sharps of the world. So things like syntax highlighting, if you, if you make a mistake, um, type checking, uh, there's an option that you can use in TypeScript as well. So then in terms of the preferred approach to building with NativeScript, I mean, it sort of depends on the development background that you come from. I mean, we have people that are real JavaScript purists that want to stick with JavaScript, that they, they want to stay as close to the metal as possible. They don't really are really interested in having some sort of 
compiled language in front of them and the code they write. But at the flip side, we we have people that come that either come from a server-side world or that that just prefer a little bit of extra checking and hand-holding while, while writing their code. And, you know, it's funny because personally, I, I always scoffed at TypeScript when I first heard of it, or, and not really specifically TypeScript, but I, I scoffed at CoffeeScript uh, and all of these other languages that try to actually compile down into JavaScript code. I just sort of wanted my JavaScript code pure as, as uh, Douglas Crockford intended. But over time, I'm starting to come around a little bit on TypeScript, um, specifically in NativeScript apps. And I think the reason I'm doing that is because when I'm when you're developing an app, it's it's a little bit more. Um, I don't maybe I want to use the word uh, complex or involved than building something for the web. Uh, and what I mean by that is, if you think about what you do to build a mobile app, if you were outside of the hybrid or the the native script construct, you'd be in Xcode, you'd be in Android Studio, you'd be in one of these IDEs. And those development environments provide things like syntax checking uh, to help you on your way. It's one of the great benefits of building with like Swift in in Xcode or Java in, a, in uh, Android Studio is you have all of this type checking, auto uh, auto complete, uh, integrated docs, those sorts of things. And so the reason I'm starting to come around and and why we have a good amount of demand for TypeScript's support amongst our user base is that when you're using TypeScript and even when you're using Angular with when you're building your native script apps, it really feels more like you're building a native app using the, uh, excuse me, native development tool chains. All right. Very cool. Uh, that, that answers my question very, very well. Um, so... Um, you mentioned this uh, a comparison really against other hybrid technologies when it comes to native script, but uh, why why would somebody want to choose native script over just developing straight native? Is there a reason for that? I, I mean, it's it's basically code and skill reuse. I mean, it's at the end of the day today, if you wanted to build a native app um, you, and you wanted to build using the complete native tool chain. You are looking at learning how Xcode works, learning how either Objective-C or Swift works, how Java works, how Android Studio works, um, how all the APIs for these different platforms work. And it's it's a pretty involved process. Now, for some companies or for some individuals, that that's quite possible. Um, I think if you're operating at a, a very large scale, if you're an Amazon or a, a Facebook of the world, I think it's quite realistic for you to have the people or the the development teams that are really equipped to handle that. That you can you can employ the amount of people you need to have these specialized skill sets and be build for these platforms. But what we found is that your your average company, your average person out there, just either doesn't have the time, the ability, the know how, the whatever it is to be able to realistically build for these platforms. So what we're trying to do is, I, I mean, ideally provide a best of both worlds scenario. We want to, with NativeScript, give you the power to do everything that those native developers can do in these eco- in these completely native ecosystems, but at the same time, give you some skill reuse so that you can build these apps using technologies that you may already be familiar with as a web or a front-end developer. So JavaScript slash TypeScript um, slash Angular, CSS. Uh, npm util- utility modules, things that are there are developers out there that know this. So if you're the type of person that uh, is trying to assemble a developer team, hire people as well. 
These are skill sets that are a lot easier to find out in the market today than trying to find someone who really knows iOS or Android, uh, sort of the native development tool chains very well. Uh, so you mentioned NPM, uh, which is the Node Package Manager. Uh, so what I kind of want to ask is, uh, if I wanted to start using NativeScript, uh, what, what, what are the requirements uh, to use it? What are my uh, hardware dependencies? What are my software dependencies? What, what might be involved in this process? Yeah, so the primary way you use NativeScript is through a CLI command line interface that's built on, built on top of Node and NPM. So the very first requirement right off the bat is you have to have Node installed on your development machine. But I think Node and NPM are becoming common enough that I, what we find is that most people have, have that in place in some uh, one way, shape, or form. The harder one is that with NativeScript, we are building truly native iOS and Android apps. And we use the native tool chains to do so. So when you build an iOS app with NativeScript, we are using the Xcode command line tools to do so. And so we, you, we require that you have Xcode and the Xcode command line tools actually installed on your development machine. So one sort of uh, repercussion of that is that you have to have a Mac in order to develop iOS apps because we need those native development tool chains in order to build these applications. For Android, we can build on I, or, um, OS X, OS X, um, Windows, or Linux because Android itself supports those three operating systems. I think other than that, uh, there's there's a few more nuanced things in order to actually build these apps, but it's the tricky one that people run into are just the, just the requirements you need to run iOS and Android in general. So if I wanted to develop these applications, um, do I need... A physical hardware in order to test? So uh, technically, uh, the answer is no. There, the iOS simulator that comes with Xcode is quite good. Um, the Android emulators that Android packages up, are, they're halfway decent. There's, there's some third-party Android emulators, most notably Jenny Motion, that are quite good that you can use that don't involve physical hardware. But that being said, I, I think any mobile developer will tell you out there that it's totally different trying something out on a simulator or an emulator versus holding something in your hand. So even though like if you could realistically or potentially develop your apps entirely on a simulator and then throw it directly into the app stores, I don't think there are many people that have done this before that would recommend doing that in any way. Really, you you want to be able to hold the thing that you're building in your hand. It's It just makes testing a lot easier. Sometimes you can find things on devices that are a little bit different than simulators. The simulators nowadays are quite good, but there's some things that are just um, different about devices, different hardware characteristics. Like if you were testing how Touch ID or fingerprint sensor integrated into your app, um, multi-touch, there, there are plenty of things that are tricky to replicate, replicate in a simulator. So I mean, I'd certainly recommend that people have a small collection of devices that they they believe their end users are going to have as well. So by small collection, I know that there's there's probably tens of thousands of Android uh, devices on the market right now. Uh, is there specific uh, versions of devices, uh, like uh, operating system versions that people should get, uh, maybe for iOS and Android? Yeah, so I, I can just, even my personal setup. So I have... I have two iPhones and an iPad here. So for my for my personal iPhone, I try to keep pretty much the latest version of iOS up and running. So I always have the latest and greatest. iOS users in general tend to be on the latest and greatest, something like 
85% of them are at any given time. Um, I usually only, I'll just rely on having simulators around to test older iOS versions, or um, I've got an older iPhone here as well um, that I use sometimes for downgrading to old versions of iOS as it comes up, which doesn't all that often. I do have an iPad as well, just because it, just the different form factor, a larger device, but iOS also has some different uh, things about iPads in terms of uh, different resources you can use to configure your iPad app. So it's handy to have one of those around. Android is far trickier just because things are fragmented a lot more. I feel like on iOS, you can get by with, with very little just because the devices are fairly uniform, even not in size, but just in behavior. The, the apps tend to be pretty much the same because so many people are on the latest iOS version. Android is kind of hard uh, because people can be anywhere back from 4.0 all the way up to the latest 6, 6 point whatever release. And the, the I think there's a new version of Android coming out relatively soon as well. So for, for Android, it's, it's, it's tricky. If you're working at a bigger company, you might be able to um, sort of get a handful of devices so you can sort of have a, a wide variety of uh, potential devices your users are using, both in terms of screen size and in terms of Android versions. Uh, I think for in a more practical sense, what, what I do personally is I have a Nexus device, Nexus 6, that I keep around here that I just always keep on the latest version of Android. So it's it's running Android 6, 6 point whatever the latest version is out there. And I also have a little bit of an older device that's, that's running, I think, 4.4 right now, which I think is one of the more common older versions so that um, I at least get my sort of sanity check on what a good portion of the Android user base is actually using, so I can test out there as well. Android, I think, is hard, so it just depends on trying to do the best you can to, to get a representative view of what your users are using. Sounds good. Uh, so I'm going to go back on a, on a topic that we had already talked a little bit about, uh, but I, also, I want to follow up on um, plugins for NativeScript. Uh, so we talked about how uh, plugins tend to be a little more difficult to create with Cordova, uh, but Cordova has a very large plugin ecosystem already. Um, what can you tell me about uh, NativeScript's plugin ecosystem or just in general uh, what it might take to develop a plugin if one doesn't exist? Yeah, so with NativeScript plugins, we do feel like they're a lot easier to write. And one of the reasons for that is in NativeScript, we give you basically direct access to all of iOS and Android directly within your JavaScript and TypeScript code. And I, I think a full explanation of, um, from a technical perspective, how that's possible is sort of out of scope here. You can, you can Google how NativeScript works, and we've got a few articles that can walk you through exactly how that's possible. But because that is in place, because that you don't have to go through say, uh, a complete Cordova system to access some of these APIs, generally speaking, you can write NativeScript plugins. I have NativeScript plugins out there that are, uh, in some cases, like a line or two of code that just wrap a simple iOS and Android API. And so there's a lot more that you can do. The other thing I'll mention, too, is that uh, with NativeScript, we also support native uh, SDKs and these other things that you can use from native iOS and Android land. So we support using CocoaPods on iOS, for instance. We support using jars and Android SDKs uh, on Android, things from, say, Android Arsenal, for instance. 
And these are the sort of things that you can write a simple native script plugin in order to consume these things, um, which is really um, fairly simple. And I'm looking at uh, over here, uh, you can find those plugins if you've got a plugin in mind that you're sort of curious how it, if whether it exists or how it would work. You can go to just npm and search for native script dash like uh, native script dash accelerometer or um, native script dash email or whatever the use case you have in mind. And if you're looking for more details about how you would write that plugin if it doesn't exist or you just sort of want to tinker with that sort of thing yourself. If you go to docs.nativescript.org, if you just do a search for plugins, you'll find a couple of documents there that walk you through exactly what goes into building one of those things in a little more detail. So I actually I actually wrote a plugin recently uh, for NativeScript, call, uh, which is a couch-based plugin. It allows for you to use a NoSQL database in your NativeScript application. Uh, but as many people know, I myself only know native Android. Uh, so I actually needed to get help from Telerik uh, to do the iOS portion. But due to my limited knowledge of iOS, uh, I don't know how exactly it was written. Does does NativeScript support for both Objective-C and Swift if you want to dabble with uh, developing plugins? Yeah, the, what you're writing your plugins in primarily is either JavaScript or TypeScript code. Um, and so the magic real happens really happens in how we translate JavaScript APIs over to Objective-C and Swift back and forth. So the, the short answer is yes. You can use either Objective-C or Swift libraries. We support both of them. Um, the tricky part and the part that it takes some time to get used to is how you actually go about writing that in JavaScript or, or, uh, or TypeScript code. And I think, um, and you can let me know what you think. You've been through this personally. Um, I, to me, per, I think that there is a little bit of a learning curve there, right? Like it's not something that you just go in and write out of the box, but um, it's something that's not that hard for simple things and is possible for more complex things with a little bit of finagling. Yeah, yeah. so I'll actually add a little bit on that. So uh, when I was developing this plugin, my first ever plugin, um, of course, I do know Java, which is uh, Android's foundation. But had I just known the APIs involved with the native SDKs that were a part of this plugin, I could have probably gotten by without knowing Java. Um, so, uh, pretty similarly to, uh, iOS, had I probably put in a little bit more effort, I probably could have figured it out. Uh, so, so there's a learning curve, but it's not as bad as one might think. Yeah. And I'll say too, that TypeScript really helps a lot there too, because TypeScript, if you're using TypeScript to develop your plugin, it'll hold your hand a little bit. It, I mean, it's not going to catch everything. It's not going to tell you exactly what you need to do. But when you're trying to invoke a native API that you're not familiar with, it can be helpful for have TypeScript to yell at you uh, to at least help you get the syntax right and how you make that conversion back and forth. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so you mentioned this earlier uh, when you were talking about the languages. You said that uh, NativeScript supports Angular. And I know that there was ng-conf recently. Um, so what version of Angular does, does NativeScript support exactly? So we just recently upgraded to the, let's see, the, whatever the latest, uh, I think it was the RC, RC1 Angular 2 release that just came out. And yeah, for us, native, Angular was sort of a logical fit, and we've been sort of working on it for quite a while. Um, we've been built, let's see, the NativeScript CLI and uh, NativeScript modules, a good chunk of the NativeScript code is written in TypeScript. 
And so when Angular first made their announcement, the Angular team that they made their announcement that they were switching to TypeScript, which was, I think, like a year and a half, two years ago, it's, it's been quite a while now, was when we first sort of got interested in the potential that, that Angular would offer for our, our apps. And in some ways, uh, Google reached out to us about a year ago um, to, to chat about potentially doing this. And the reason for it is Angular 1 apps, for anybody not familiar, Angular 1 apps are, are very much coupled, tied to the DOM. As in, uh, if you were to dig into the Angular 1 code base, you'd find very explicit references to the individual um, DOM methods. And you really can't, well, you can't at all use Angular 1 outside of the browser. It's explicitly a browser uh, framework. But with Angular 2, one of the things that the Angular team that Google was trying to do was make Angular 2 more of a generic solution that could be used in these different types of software ecosystems. So you'll see things like Angular 2 and Electron and Angular 2 and, and some of these other technologies. And what we did is we worked with Google to sort of prove that Angular 2 can be used in one of these, these situations. So for our case, iOS and Android. And so a lot of our work was what Google would do is we'd or what we'd find is we'd find an, an a uh, API in Angular that we weren't able to use or that we weren't able to replicate in native script and worked with Google so that all those APIs were in some sort of uh, uh, interface or, or some way that we could override it so that they could implement those interfaces with DOM code and we could implement it in our end with iOS or Android code. So do you think that uh, by native script allowing for Angular 2, uh, do you think this is a game changer for, for uh, native script? Like something that really blows it up in comparison to not having uh, a JavaScript framework like this? So I, I really do. And I, I've sort of come around. I've, I've had mixed feelings about, about Angular 2 myself, to be completely honest. I, I mean, when I, I was sort of a somewhat of an Angular 1 user, not a whole lot. And I was sort of taken aback by how much syntactically changed with Angular 2 and how much there there was to learn in terms of how everything worked. But having spent the last few months playing with it, I'm slowly coming around. And I think the big thing that's convincing me of the potential is the the idea that you can use the same framework and in some cases even the same code across both native apps and web apps. And I've seen some examples of this and just sort of the potential that's, that's there. Um, because, again, to be completely honest, one of the things that people would tell us about NativeScript is say, well, NativeScript's great, but um, how, should I, how should I structure my code? Or um, they, were, they were really looking for style guides or they were looking for some conventions around our, our sort of MVC implementation. And now, like because we can use a lot of these existing tools that the Angular community has has been building, things like Angular has their own style guide. They have really robust linting tools. They have unit testing tools. They have static analysis tools. Um, all these tools that we can build upon um, and just sort of customize to make work in a native script ecosystem, they work quite well. Um, and so, at the end of the day, then you you have this this framework that you can learn for building your web apps and then apply those same conventions and automatically reduce that barrier to entry to get into iOS and Android quite a bit more. So you, you made several references to web and being able to share your code set. Uh, are you referring to strictly the JavaScript uh, portion? Uh, because uh, 
like like you mentioned earlier, NativeScript uh, uses native UIs rather than web components. Can you can you be clear on that? Yeah. So what you do, like for for people not familiar with Angular two, I mean Angular two is really a series of TypeScript components that you you build to actually build up your actual user interface. And so in these components, you you tell Angular two like how to render these things. So you provide this thing like a template option. And on the web, those templates are going to be things like divs and spans and forms and all the things that you'd use to build up a web app. Now, in NativeScript, we we don't have those things, right? We're not rendering a, a web or we're not rendering using HTML. So in NativeScript, that template is going to be things like our stack layout or our text input or our label or all the different components that we provide for iOS and Android. So the code sharing only goes so far. Like the when it gets down to the interface, it is something that you're you're almost certainly going to have to define your interfaces once for native and once for the web. But what gets me excited is that from there, a lot of the same sort of both skill sharing and code sharing is still possible. So in terms of skill sharing, even though you're, you're defining these templates maybe two different times, the same semantics. So Angular has ways of doing event binding, data binding, um, all of these, these Angular 2-isms those work the same regardless of whether you're rendering for web and native. So you're using different components, but the syntactics or the semantics are the same. And from a code sharing perspective, even though like the, the stuff that's at the UI, that, that TypeScript code may be different, there's a lot more to your app than just that. So if you have your business logic or your, your sort of backend, your model data, um, that sort of layer of your application, if you structure your app so that that layer that's that sort of service tier is not coupled or not tied to any sort of specific UI, it is something that you really seriously have the ability to just directly share between these different these different apps. So not just web and native script, but also maybe something like Electron, maybe something that we're not even thinking about right now. Uh, so I probably should ask this at the beginning, uh, but when when exactly did NativeScript come into existence? Um, yeah, that's let's see. Um, NativeScript started as prototypes all the way back in like 2013, 2014. Late 2014 was when we launched our initial private betas. We had a a group known as NativeScript Insiders that they were helping us test out NativeScript before we went public. Uh, March of 2015, we had our first public beta release that we first sort of announced ourselves to the world. Uh, May of last year, we had our 1.0 release, so it's it's been about a year. Um, and just this past week at NGConf, we announced our 2.0 release along with our Angular integration. So, so since uh, since it's been out for about a year now, uh, are there any people or any of your customers? Uh, who are using native script are you able to talk about that like any anyone in particular who who might be using native script in production right now yeah sure so one way you can look at a list of people that are are sort of apps that are built with native script is nativescript.org/showcases which you can see some of the apps that are out there live i will say that a lot of the apps that are the the bigger names or bigger things that are more recognizable are still to come and the reason for that is we had a lot of customers that were sort of in a wait and see mode with our Angular 2 support. Um, a lot of people were sort of holding off. And so we announced at ng-conf that we're working with Kiva, which is a nonprofit company that sort of helps lend people money around the world. 
uh, and also Fidelity that we are working with to build with NativeScript and Angular 2. So those aren't apps that are in production yet, but they they are in the works. So just just to make sure that I got the name correctly, are you saying Kiva with a V or or with a B? K I V A with a V. Yeah, and I'll include these links in the show notes at the end too, in case anyone wants to learn more. Uh, so so yeah, that's that's pretty exciting that there's two major major companies that are uh, in progress for getting up and running with NativeScript. Yeah, we're pretty excited. I think it helps show that the the vision that we're we're working towards um, by lowering this barrier to native apps and and also partnering with Angular too as well is something that there's a lot of interest out there for. So so this next question, I, I get this question a lot when I when I talk about NativeScript, whether it be on my blog or just uh, at an event. Maybe I'll just hear somebody talking about NativeScript. Um, people always ask why the showcase doesn't have a lot of quality uh, examples in terms of visuals. Uh, can, can you explain a little on that? I, I looked uh, today and, and it's doing better, uh, but other, other hybrid platforms, other native platforms, their showcases are very thorough uh, in terms of just really gorgeous looking applications. Yeah, sure. I, I mean, there's a few different reasons for that. I mean, some of it is that NativeScript is fairly new. I mean, we we had our 1.0 release as of May last year, and a lot of these companies that we work with, I mean, it takes some time to get some apps out there. So I think that's one of the reasons you're not seeing some of the bigger names in our showcases quite yet. Although, as I said, we're working on some of those. Um, compare that to, say, Cordova has been out since, I don't know what, five, six years, it's been a long time out there to sort of build up that base of applications. Um, another, as I mentioned, is that we do have a lot of people that are holding off on our Angular 2 support. A, a lot of bi- bigger businesses want to see Angular 2 sort of officially denoted as stable or usable before they sort of put give it the, uh, <laughs> the go that they're going to go ahead and get started. And some of it is tricky too. Uh, Telerik is a company where we sort of uh, have a history of dealing with with larger companies, and so sometimes we get into issues with legal departments and things that we're not all, always able to publicly talk about, and lawyers and red tape and all those sorts of sure. nasty things come into play as well, for better or worse. Yeah. So the answer I usually give people, I, I just wanted to get your take on the on the situation, but I usually tell people that uh, the the UI of an app is is only as good as the designer. And because native script is a lot newer, uh, not a lot of good designers have have made an appearance yet. Um, do you find that to be accurate? Yeah, and some of it too is that um, I, I mean, some of this is on our end too. I I think that one of the things that we're concentrating with native script in our next few releases is providing a better display or a better theme, I guess, out of the box for people to use. Because it's what I found, at least in my personal native script development, is that. If I'm working with a designer that knows what they're doing, like I can make anything I want to make with NativeScript. And in fact, I, I have a lot more power at my hand because I can tie into these Android and iOS things out of the box. Um, so NativeScript is quite powerful in that sense. But one of the things I think we need to be better about doing is when for those developers that don't have the ability to work with a designer and just want something that they can quickly prototype and send out and have something that looks really good out of the box. I mean, I, mean, I think... Uh, this is something that Ionic did for, to give one example spectacularly well, right? Like their, their apps look pretty decent with them just by spinning up something quick. And we are looking to build that same sort of experience where we can get something that looks decent out of the box with NativeScript as well. 
Sure. Yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense. Uh, so uh, native script is open source, right? We've 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 hit that, right? Yeah, I don't know if we mentioned it, but yes. <laughs> yeah. So so with with native script being open source, how exactly does Telerik make money off of this? Because this, this is a common concern that I have with with any product that I use. Uh, I have to wonder. Uh, well, is this just a just a little cool project that people are looking at, or or is this going to be long term? People, uh, the company behind it is actually making money and and wanting to support it. What what exactly is Telerik doing about this? Yeah, and and just to give you a little bit of background, I mean, for people that haven't heard of Telerik before, we we are a fairly large company, so we're we're about seven hundred ish people, and our parent company, Progress Software, it makes us closer to like fifteen hundred or two thousand people. And obviously, not all those people have work on work on NativeScript, but I just show that just to, to say that we are a fairly large company, an established company, and we're not building some sort of fly-by-night JavaScript framework. There is a good amount of engineering effort that goes into this. And so the way we intend to make money off of this, because as we do, there's there's really two main avenues. The first is we we have what's known as UI for NativeScript. If you sort of Google for that, you'll you should be able to find that which are premium UI controls for NativeScript apps. So things like charts, graphs, um, calendars, and there'll be a number of other premium components that we'll be adding as well. Uh, these, these UI tools are sort of our bread and butter at Telerik. If you, if you look around our website, you'll see that we also make UIs for uh, I, just iOS, Android, Xamarin, um, just about everything we have UIs for. So one is with premium UI controls. The other is we have what's known as the Telerik platform, which is a number of tools and services that you can use to build your mobile apps and tools and services that you can use with your NativeScript applications. So we have, for instance, a backend as a service that will store the data for your NativeScript app. Um, we'll send out push notifications. We will handle the analytics for your app. We'll do your user management. We have what's known as App Manager, where we will manage your apps. We will help you send them out to, say, beta testers, or maybe you have internal QA people that you need to send to. Uh, maybe you need to connect your NativeScript app with our data connectors to your legacy uh, let's say, Oracle database or um, MySQL or all these other things that we provide data access for. Um, and the Telerik platform also comes with support as well, which is something that a lot of companies are looking for before they sort of choose a solution for their mobile development for years to come. So the, the good news is, is, I mean, Telerik, we have a history of doing this. I mean, we are a professional software company, so this is what we do. And our, really what we're trying to do with NativeScript is provide something open, free to use, where you're, you can use NativeScript without giving us a cent. We don't do anything shady. We don't inject anything into your apps or anything like that. We don't require you to pay before you go to the App Store. But we do want to create an ecosystem where we can create these solutions that build on top of this that we can monetize on and that we can use to help make NativeScript better and to maintain it over time. All right, that, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I think my final question here is, uh, say say I like everything I heard on this podcast uh, as one of my listeners here. Uh, what? How can I find more information? How could I get help? Um, just be overall successful in my application development with NativeScript. Yeah, so I'll point to people at two different things. The first is if you go to nativescript.org, there's going to be a big green Get Started button. And if you click on that, you'll go through a tutorial that we've put together that will walk you through relatively comprehensively uh, how to get started with NativeScript, how to build up a small little app, how to get up and running. So I, I usually recommend that people start there. 
The other thing I'll recommend too is we have a, a fairly lively community Slack channel that Nick, I know you're on and a lot of other people are as well. Um, you can find, if you if you go through that guide, it'll link to the Slack channel. You can also find it linked to on nativescript.org as well. But if you run into problems uh, getting up and running, or if you have any questions, if you hear this and you you want to reach out, I mean, Nick and I are both on the, the Slack channel, so you can uh, reach out there. Um, it's a great place to get help. And a lot of these community members, too, um, are pretty active. There's there's also this guy, Nick Raboy. He does a lot of writing about NativeScript, so you could check out his blog <laughs> and some others as well. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so no, that was great. Is there anything that you wanted to add that we might have missed that would be a real killer thing to know about? I I don't think so. I think yeah. we, we, we got it. We nailed it. Yeah, we covered a lot of ground. <laughs> yeah, well, then I uh, I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be on this podcast episode. Uh, and maybe we'll expand upon this uh, in a future episode. Yeah, thanks for having me. Anytime. Hey, I'm hoping that you got a lot out of this particular episode on the topic of native script. If you are looking for some great resources on learning how to develop mobile applications with native script, again, I've written a lot of blog posts. So if you go to the polyglotdeveloper.com and you use the search box to type in native script, you should see a lot of different tutorials. If you prefer to learn in a more organized classroom style setting, I do have a course that I made on NativeScript. It's a video course uh, that I release. It's several hours long. You can actually find it at thepolyglotdeveloper.com slash courses. If you have any questions regarding this podcast, either for TJ or myself, go ahead and send them to thepolyglotdeveloper.com slash podcast hyphen questions. If you're listening to this podcast either through iTunes or another network that allows you to leave a review and a rating, please go ahead and log in and leave a five-star rating and something nice about the podcast. It would mean a whole lot uh, to me. If you have a business relevant to any of the topics that I discuss on the polyglotdeveloper.com or the Polyglot Developer Podcast, and you'd like to get more exposure for your business, I do have sponsorship opportunities available. If you go to thepolyglotdeveloper.com, at the bottom of the page, you should see a link that says, Become a Sponsor. Go ahead and fill out the form, and I'll get back to you as soon as possible. And that concludes episode number five.